On this week's On the Road podcast, we'll consider a few questions we've received lately from our YouTube viewers. There's such a variety of questions that come in from our videos that we thought it might be interesting to our listeners as well. So let's go ahead and jump in. One of our videos is RPOD 5 Issues You Should Know About. And a viewer named Mark put this comment on about mosquitoes. We're having issues with mosquitoes inside the trailer. I understand when you enter the unit, you might have some on you, but after killing a bunch of them, it seems that there are more. I checked seals, and they're all good. Screens, all good. Any suggestions? And here's my reply to Mark. Mark, I had the same issue a few years ago when camping in the UP of Michigan in July. For my RPOD 179, I noticed air coming into the cabin from under the slide dinette area with the bathroom exhaust fan on and with the other windows closed. So air can get into the cabin from under the slide, at least in my unit. I think the fan was sucking the little pests into the cabin as they were all around the trailer outside of the cabin. You may want to consider using your AC versus the bathroom exhaust fan and see if this clears things up. Hopefully this helps. Now Mark did get back to me and said he didn't have a slide out in his unit and still was questioning why he had mosquitoes in the unit. And I replied to him that he should try to close all the windows and turn on the bathroom exhaust fan and see if he has any air coming to the unit, if he can feel a draft anywhere. When you're in a situation camping where you have a lot of mosquitoes, as actually I was just recently, they can get into the cabin. And if you do have some sort of suction, bringing air in from outside using your exhaust fan, they can get sucked into the unit and you'll wonder where they're coming from. Just a heads up, especially if you're camping this summer. Now up in Michigan here, we've had an especially tough year with mosquitoes. For some reason it got really hot in uh, May and June, and then it rained like crazy at the end of June and a good part of the early part of the July, and just mosquitoes proliferated, and it's been really difficult up here, even in the backyard. We recently went camping in central Michigan, and it was just a disaster. I mean, the minute we got out of the car, they were just attacking us. So be aware, you can have seasons where they're really tough, and you should know what to do and check for things. And obviously, you don't want mosquitoes in your trailer as you're camping or wake up with a bunch of them in your trailer, uh, you know, pecking at you. So that's no fun at all. Okay, the next question came on a video about toting bikes. I put a short snippet video out there. It had about it was about two minutes about toting bikes. It showed the bikes bouncing on the back of my RPOD 179. And Gordon wrote, I see that you're connecting to a one and a quarter inch receiver. It'd be on the back of my RPOD. Did you confirm that that bike rack is approved for RV trailer use? I couldn't identify the exact model on the Aero website, but all the manufacturers I am aware of only approve certain 2-inch receiver models for their trailer use. I have an RPOD 180 and replaced the lightweight hitch on the pod with a more robust 2-inch receiver so that I could use the Strongberg Carlson BC202BA rack, which is specifically approved for trailer use. And I replied to Gordon this way, the Bike Wing 2 Arrow that I used was what Forest River recommended for use with the R-Pod, at least when I got my R-Pod in 2017, an, upon initial purchase. They may not make this specific model anymore, the one that's in the video I'm talking about. Sounds like you have a good plan for toting your bikes. I assume you had to reinforce the frame to put the 2-inch receiver on it. Now, Gordon got back to me, and here's his reply. We bought our 180 in 2017 as well and always wanted to buttress up the rear receiver so that I could carry a bike. I did not want to add a bike carrier along with the spare tire 
as there were enough horror stories with them breaking loose from excessive weight. I never got around to the repair until a few months ago when in stop-and-go traffic in South Carolina, a 15-year-old driver rear-ended us, thus expediting the project. I bought a universal fit hitch frame, specifically meant for mounting the RV trailer frames. For a few reasons, I did not want to weld the R-Pod frame, mostly because it's so light, so I engineered an underhung scheme, welding the universal hitch to a 10-inch lengths of 2x2 square tubing and bolting onto the frame from below. I used a quarter inch and one and a half inch flat stock inside the bottom of the pod frame and top of the underhung square tubing along with grade eight and a half inch bolt for strength. I bolted the frame and offset the center by one and a quarter. Now this is all complex and he showed a picture of me, he actually emailed a picture of me what it looked like. Basically he's putting two inch tubing underneath the frame and securing it to the frame on the ends and then hanging a two inch hitch to the bottom. It looks pretty secure. It looks like an interesting way to do it. And I replied to Gordon that this looks like an interesting way and I asked him for photos. So my plan with this one is to actually uh, do another video at some point that is talking about uh, towing with bicycles. And it's always a difficult subject. I mean, I have a video out there about eight different ways you can put bikes on your RV. And, and take them with you, whether it be on the truck, front of the truck, back of the truck, on the tongue, on the back of the trailer, or inside the trailer. There's a lot of different ways to do it. None of them are perfect. And so I'm always interested in anyone's solution to this, and Gordon seems to have an interesting solution. And when I put another video out that talks about this, I'll probably have these pictures of what he did on there, and other, uh, along with other people and what they've done. Uh, the next uh, video that we got a comment on was a toilet valve install, which we just put out. And Jake uh, actually had a question on something totally different about winter camping. He says, please tell us about your winter experience with the Keystone Bullet trailer. This is a very interesting and informative topic. Firstly, I wonder how prepared this RV is for low and very low temperatures. How well the heating and heating system and water circulation, clean gray and black, are doing. Is it possible to live comfortably without onshore electricity, only on batteries and gas? I don't think camping with electricity and water connected, even in winter, is a challenge. The challenge is an autonomous journey. My question is, is this RV a self-contained RV for winter, or is it only a kid's toy? So I replied to Jake that, first of all, and everyone should know this, you know, I don't camp in winter. I don't do winter camping. I do camp in winter. Let me correct myself. You know, I camp in winter, but I usually go south in winter. I've only ever taken my RVs to Florida to escape Michigan in the winters. So the RVs that I've owned, whether it be the original RPOD 171 or the RPOD 179 that I still own, or the Keystone Bullet, which I've taken to Florida the last couple winters, you know, whatever they are, I'm not sticking out in the winter and camping with these trailers in the winter. They're really not made for all-season camping. These are light trailers. They, Even though they can have duct work that'll, you know, keep the, the tank somewhat warmer, they're just not made for all-season, really. And when it's got close to freezing a few times, even in Florida, I've really been able to camp with no issues. Basically, I keep the furnace on. I disconnect the city water line at night if it's forecasted to get below freezing. And I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of other folks who have done winter camping. And I pointed Jake to uh, look around for other people who have done winter camping. Basically, the Keystone Bullet, though, I wouldn't take it out on in, you know, long-term winter camping. I don't believe it's self-contained. You really do need to plug in. If you're just going to use propane, you're going to run through so much propane just with the furnace going if you're talking about uh, camping in freezing temperatures during the day. I mean, if you hit freezing overnight once in a while, that's not a problem. You can keep the furnace going and keep some doors open in the camper and keep the, the pipes warm. 
But if it's freezing all the time, I wouldn't want to do that. You'd have to be getting propane regularly. So uh, a little bit on that question. The next question I had was from Duncan. This was on the R-Pod 192, five things about it. Now we put this video out a year or two ago and it had uh, five things about the brand new R-Pod 192. Now this video was done when the, R the 192 just came out. It's no longer the case. Uh, he says, but we also have our eye on the Palomino Realite uh, RL184. It's nearly identical to the 192, but doesn't have the two major undesirable features you pointed out, which basically were, the, one of the main ones is it didn't have a shower surround. On the RL184, the shower is fully enclosed and the front window is not blocked when the Murphy bed is folded away. And that was the other thing about the 192 is problematic. That design also allows for overbed storage that the 192 doesn't have. So this is all good, and, and Duncan looked like he has his eye on the right thing here. He also says the RL-184 has a small window on the wall to the right of the bed that the 192 doesn't have, so there's some upsides. The downsides, he says, is that it's 375 pounds heavier, and new ones are quote-unquote temporarily unavailable, according to the Palomino website. However, he says he plans to buy an, a used one versus a new one. And what were my thoughts? So I replied to Duncan. I said, it sounds like the Palomino may have what you're looking for. However, finding one, even a used one, may not be all that easy. And I point him to start looking on rvtrader.com because that's where, you know, they have 30, right now I think it's 35 or 36,000, maybe a little more than that, of used RVs for sale on RV Trader. And you may be able to find a Palomino that may be this one. It may be difficult too. The other thing I warned him about it's that because new trailers are very difficult to get, the price of used trailers has gone way up. So if you're looking for a trailer of any sort, you need to level set your expectations in terms of pricing. And used ones can be pretty darn expensive right now, especially ones that have been well kept or mod, mods have uh, upgrades and, and things like that. So if you do find a used one, I said, I do have a video on inspecting a used trailer before you buy one, and I gave them the link for that. We have a pretty complete video. Uh, many people don't know about. It's about a 20 minute plus video that shows how you can go through a used trailer step by step, system by system to make sure you're getting something that's sound that you don't feel like you got ripped off in the process. Okay, also I got a reply here, a question here on the video of the RV toilet valve install we just recently did. Hi John, the outside shower on the RPOD 179 is cracked and leaks at the shower head. And the hot water valve is stripped and turns passed off. Is there a way to shut off the shower so it can stop it from leaking until the unit is replaced? So this is Peter, and I replied to Peter, there is not a shut off uh, to the shower plumbing lines that I know of. Now what we're talking about here is if you remember on the R-Pod 179 and most of the R-Pods and a lot of other trailers, they have an outdoor shower. So it's a little door, you have an outdoor shower, and you have two little knobs, a hot and cold, and you can you know turn the shower on if you need to like... Uh, shoot sand off your feet or whatever. Uh, really not made for a major shower outside, but it is handy at times. And what he's saying is that one of the handles is stripped and so it's leaking. And he doesn't want to have to turn off water to the whole unit all the time when he's using the unit uh, until he gets the shower unit itself. In other words, takes that entire box out and replaces it. And the problem is is really not an, a local shutoff like I showed on that uh, toilet valve video that I put in my Keystone Bullet. I put actually a little valve that intercepted the line going to the toilet so I could turn it off locally. So there's nothing like that. Uh, if you want, I wrote this, if you want to tackle the job yourself, you should be able to install a similar valve that I showed in the toilet. So you can get one of these cutoff valves 
and put it pretty much anywhere on PEX line in your RV if you wanted. The problem with the 179 is that's going to be under the kitchen counter. You're going to have to take some uh, flimsy wallboard off and find the line and get the right tools, cut it, splice it, and put the, the valve in. However, my thought was, and what I mentioned to him, is I don't know if that's really worth doing because how often you're going to really get down there and need to turn that off. What you're talking about is a fixed problem where you really just need to put a new shower unit in. So I wasn't too keen on that. And I did mention that you can do it, but really what you want to do is probably just get the shower replaced when you get a chance. So not a whole lot of help there, but that what things that happen and the questions that come along. Okay, another one is towing with a Honda Pilot. And uh, this person, Reg, asked, I'm planning to tow a loaded U-Haul, which is a 5x8 trailer with two kids and two adults, and car seats. I'm towing for the first time. So this is a brand new uh, person who hasn't towed before. And he's watched the Towing with a Honda Pilot video, by the way, on the site. Could you please help me with the below question? I have a 2019 Pilot, Honda Pilot, touring all-wheel drive, planning to drive from California to Georgia. That's no small trip. He has a hitch, a harness, and is planning to add the transmission cooler. What else do I need to tow safely with my family? Can you please make any suggestions? So I think what I, what I said here, you know, if you think about this, this is someone who, they're not towing a trailer, they're towing a U-Haul. And it's not a huge U-Haul, 5x8 isn't ginormous, but nonetheless, he wants to be safe. And that's a really important question to ask before you tow anything. Even those of you who tow trailers, if you're going to go tow a U-Haul, it's a different unit altogether. And it may have more weight front and back of the ton of the axle. You've got to understand load limits and things like that and the, the weight of the trailer. But how I responded to Reg is this. I think the main thing is to keep your trailer weight below towing capacity and try to load the trailer evenly and hook up so the trailer sits level with the Honda Pilot. Now this Honda Pilot should have a 5,000 pound capacity and I would think that with the 5x8 trailer, U-Haul, I have no idea what the unloaded weight is. So I pointed them to U-Haul basically to say, ask your U-Haul dealer, you know, what speed is recommended to tow the trailer, what the trailer weight is unloaded, etc. You need to find out from U-Haul. And as far as other safety tips, I said make sure your tire pressures are correct and keep your speed down when towing. And those of you know that, that you just don't want to go too fast. You should check your tires, make sure that the tires are rated for a certain, you know, the tires are rated for a certain speed. You need to make sure you don't exceed that too much at all. And with U-Haul towing, I haven't done it. I can't speak too much to it. So in that case, I'm going to point him back to the U-Haul dealer where he's getting it to make sure he gets the right safety tips from them. Tire pressures are correct. You should watch that. You should have a tire pressure monitor. Uh, a tire pressure gauge with you at all times so you can check it periodically along the road, especially on this kind of long haul. And the final question for today is convection oven. Now, we have a video on the high point convection oven, which has been highly seen. I mean, tens of thousands of views over the last couple of years it's been out there. There's these high point convection microwaves in so many different trailers, not just our pods. I had no idea that when we put this video out, it'd be seen by so many people. But I keep getting questions about metal racks and what I can use in it because it's a convection microwave. It also has a grill feature, so a broiler. What can I do? What kind of pots and pans? What kind of glassware? What kind of metal racks can I use? It comes with a round metal rack that rotates with the rotation of the plate at the bottom when you're on microwave mode and on convection mode. So I had a question here. Do you use the microwave rack for cooking such things as pizza? Pizza is my favorite item in our home convection microwave, and I love... Uh, the note you made about grilling the top, which I enjoy doing. I don't get the two-level rack we got with our unit, but thinking to just use the rack we got with our now-defunct unit from home. So what they're saying is they have some different kind of rack 
uh, than I was talking about in the video, but apparently they have a circular rack in the one they have at home and they're thinking about just using that. And my comment was I, I used the metal circular rack that came with my oven and I use a small pizza pan, basically a Walmart pizza pan that sits on top of the metal rack and it doesn't hit the walls when it spins inside. So you gotta make sure if you're gonna use a pizza pan inside that convection microwave, you, it's not a one that you know scrapes the side of the inside of the microwave oven. You don't wanna do that. So this has gotta be able to sit into the oven and circulate properly when it's spinning on the rack, on the plate that rotates, and it doesn't hit the edges. And once you do that, you gotta obviously buy not pizzas that aren't huge, right? Because they also have to fit inside that pizza pan. And I found, you know, if you preheat it, you can get a really good pizza cooked in there. And then if you like to grill it for the last few minutes at the top, that works well. So I, I basically said I use a small pizza pan from Walmart and it, that doesn't hit the walls and spins with the uh, rotation of the oven. And, you know, I also use it in convection mode to cook the pizza and then change it over to grill to toast the pizza at the end. So that was my reply there. I think you just got to be a little careful when you're talking about the convection microwave, especially on the microwave portion, people get a little confused of what they can and can't use. And you need to make sure you research that in terms of cookware, etc. And I think, you know, that's going to do it for today's episode. Hopefully that was helpful uh, going through some of our questions we got recently. Remember, you can find more great information on living life remotely on johnmarucci.com. We have a ton of stuff, including a lot of new things on johnmarucci.com if you haven't looked at the resources page lately. Some new data and visualizations we put out for the travel stuff that you know, whether it be TSA travel numbers or RV sales, etc. As always, we appreciate your support of the show and the channel by starting your shopping from our Amazon storefront. By the way, it's free to you, no additional cost to you. It helps the channel greatly if you start your uh, shopping from our Amazon storefront. Or you can just go to johnmarucci.com and click the Amazon store link. So thanks for listening. Stay safe. This is John Marucci, and so long for now.